Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Welcome to Israel and You. I'm Aaron Free, your host, and I've got some wonderful thoughts for you today. I'm going to tell you a story of something that's happened to me in the last month, a difficult trial I went through, and we're going to answer the question, where is God when I'm hurting? It's kind of like the why question. God, why am I going through this? And then, where are you? Are you here walking with me through this valley? It was Elie Wiesel, the Holocaust survivor, when he was in Auschwitz. He was lined up with all the other uh, men. And there was a young boy of 12 years old and uh, two older men, Jewish men, that had stolen a piece of bread. And so the Nazis were going to make a public display of them and hang them in front of all the other male inmates. And so as Wiesel stood there in line with the other inmates, they hung the little boy and the two men, and the man in front of Wiesel said, for God's sake, where is God? And then they were forced to file by uh, the three hanging bodies, but the little boy's body was not heavy enough uh, for the rope, and so he was, he was struggling and he was suffocating. And again, the man in front of Wiesel said, for God's sake, where is God? And Wiesel said to himself, where is God? He's hanging here from the gallows. And in Jewish thought, God is among us. God is walking with us through the valleys. When we suffer, he suffers. When we're in pain, he's in pain. And there's a scripture that actually says that. It's Isaiah 63, 9. In all their afflictions, that's meaning Israel's afflictions, times of famine and pestilence and sword, in all their afflictions, God was afflicted. So that simply means that when you're going through a difficult season, God is with you. And in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom we hid our faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so that's speaking of the Heavenly Father, speaking of the Messiah, that when we go through difficult times, God is there with us. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So where was God? He was there on the gallows, that that in Christ he was reconciling the world to himself. Several years ago, I suffered a loss, and a wise pastor gave me four lines that I'll never forget, and, and here are the four lines. His love is perfect, speaking of God. His wisdom is infallible. He cannot be improved upon, and I don't have all the information. Let me say that again. His love is perfect. He, his wisdom is infallible, he cannot be improved upon, and I don't have all the information. And you don't have all the information. You, when you're going through a difficult time, you don't know what God is doing behind the scenes uh, to bring 
whatever it is he wants to bring into fruition with your life. I've heard some people say, well, you know, I went through this very disappointing time, this very tragic loss, and I can't forgive God. And so I will say the same thing. I can't forgive God. Do you know why? Because God's never done anything that would require my forgiveness. He's perfect in all his ways. He would never do anything to harm me. God cannot lie. Uh, he, he can't tempt me with evil. So, you know, people that say, well, I just can't forgive God. But, but think about it. God is perfect. He would never do anything that would cause you to have the need to forgive him. So I think for many Christians, right under the surface of their faith, there's a disappointment with God. There's an offense with God. And the word offense uh, in the Bible, coming from the Greek word skandalizon, uh, and it describes uh, a bear trap that, that just entraps a person. It's also translated stumbling. And Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended on account of me. And you see, offense can be a stumbling block for us, that we get disappointed with God and because we've gone through a loss or a tragedy of some kind. And uh, so we get offended with him and we become scandalized, scandalizon. We're entrapped by that offense and it gnaws on us. Oftentimes it caused bitterness towards God. And there's many Christians stumbling today over that offense trap. Um, and over the questions, where is God? Where was he when I was going through this trial? And again, remember what Eli Wiesel said, the, the Holocaust survivor. He wrote the book Night. You know, the, the question that the man asked in front of him, for God's sake, where is God? And Wiesel said, he's right here hanging on the gallows. He's in Jewish thought. Again, God is in the midst of our suffering. Isaiah 63, 9, in all their afflictions, God was afflicted afflicted in Isaiah 55 verse 9 it says for uh, the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts uh, higher than your thoughts so when we go through a disappointing time it does not mean God has dissed you from your appointment you take the word disappointment some people think well God has dissed me from my appointment, my divine appointment in life. And I found that walking with God is not like a straight line. It's more of a zigzag. You know, you, you, you kind of feel like the Lord's leading you this way, and uh, you walk in that way for a while, and then he wants to do something new and challenging, and he moves you in another direction. And sometimes you, you, you look at your life, and you just see it as a zigzag rather than just a straight line. There's mountains, there's valleys, there's joys, there's sorrows, there's ups and downs. And one thing for sure, you cannot blockade God's destiny for your life. He's not going to diss you from your divine appointment. How do I know that you can't blockade God's destiny for your life? Because you're not that powerful. You're not powerful enough to blockade God's destiny. He will bring you into his desired 
a destiny for your life. And again, it's not always simple as climbing a staircase. It's not always a straight line. Sometimes we've got to go down before we go up. And the scripture says, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, that, that he will lift you up. So we need to go down before we go up. Life, walking with God is sort of like a, a, a zigzag. It's not just a straight line upward. So God is not going to dish you from your appointment with your destiny. Think about Samson. I mean, the guy blew it, you know, with Delilah. Uh, But at the end of his life, after he'd been blinded and his hair grew back, the end of his life, the Bible says, you know, he did more for God in that one moment and in the, the pagan temple that he had done his entire life. So disappointments will come in life, but don't take offense with God. When you suffer, he suffers. Isaiah 63, 9, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted. And remember these four lines that really changed my life when I heard them. I'll never forget these four lines. God's love is perfect. His wisdom is infallible. He cannot be improved upon. And I don't have all the information. And I've always said that walking with God is kind of like making a quilt. And on the back side of the quilt, it's just filled with knots. It, it doesn't mean anything. There's no pattern. There's no beauty. It's just filled with knots. And when we go through a, a valley, when we go through a loss, and we come out the other side, uh, we see the beautiful pattern on the other side of the quilt that God has been designing all along. We, we didn't have all the information that God was connecting all these knots and dots and he was making a beautiful picture, but we have to go through it until we can see it on the other side. Someone said that their favorite passage in the Bible was, and it came to pass. And that's what walking with God is, that when we go through a difficult time, it will come to pass. We will make it to the other side, and when we do, we'll see what God was doing all along. Right now, I may not see what God's doing. I don't have all the information, but I do know that whatever is happening to me, God's love is perfect. His wisdom is infallible. He cannot be improved upon, and at the moment, I don't have all the information, but I've got the patience to wait to see what God is doing in my time of loss and in the valley. So this happened to me in the last 30 days. It was an aha moment. And I realized that God had been working all along in my life behind the scenes. And my story is, and I've shared it before, that when I was a small child, I was three and a half years of age, my dad was a general contractor out in the state of California, and uh, he just built us a brand new house, and um, it was a uh, couple days before Christmas, and th- there was a red brick fireplace, a white mantle, a clock on top, and a rocking chair in front of the fire. My dad had built uh, you know, a blazing fire, and I was in my pajamas, and, um, you know, the kind when you're kids that you're, it's got socks built into the pajamas, the PJs, and I'm sitting in my father's lap. I'm about four years old and, um, he's rocking me to sleep. And I felt so secure in the arms of my father. Well, the next night, the night before Christmas Eve, my dad was, uh, taught Sunday school at church 
and he was on his way to church and he pulled out of this subdivision and he was building all the homes in the subdivision. He'd, he'd, uh, actually turned in his life insurance policy. He was 31 years old to get the cash to buy property, uh, to build these homes in the California building boom. And, um, so he's pulling out of our neighborhood. A drunk driver is coming at 80 miles an hour, plows into the back of my father and my dad is killed tragedy. And so we were left without anything with, with no life insurance. My, my mother had to, you know, sell off the homes to another contractor. She broke even. And we moved from this, this beautiful, you know, brand new house into a trailer park. And that's all she could afford was moving into a trailer. And so that's where I spent my, my early years. And I had this father heart void that in that trailer, there was no red brick fireplace. There was no white mantelpiece. There was no clock or rocking chair. And I had an offense with God because of a father heart void in my soul. And I remember growing up, I played little league baseball and pony league baseball. And then I played baseball through high school, played first base. And um, every day after practice, I would stand um, on the, the curb with the pickup line where all the dads are picking up their sons. And I would have my, you know, baseball cleats hanging over my, my uh, shoulder and my baseball and my glove. And I would wait until all the dads picked up the entire team one by one, because I did not want to be walking home by myself and to have the, you know, the sons with their dads seeing that I was alone. I w I was offended by that. And, there was, an, there was a father heart void within my, my life. So I'd wait till they all got picked up and then I would walk three miles to get home. And so there was this deep offense in my soul. And the why question, why did this happen to me? Why did I have to grow up without a father? So I had a deep offense towards God. There was a scandalizon in my life. And remember that word, scandalizon, is tran in, in Greek means means an offense and what I call it is an offense trap and it describes the the jaws of a bear trap and I think that that offense just kind of grabs hold of our souls of our hearts and uh, we walk with bitterness and I did all those years I, I walked with bitterness in my soul towards God I did not know and understand that he was there with me where is God he's hanging there from the gallows I did not know that in all my afflictions, he was afflicted. I did not know the scripture at that time that he's a father to the fatherless. I, I didn't comprehend it. And so it, it took me years for the Lord to heal that offense in my soul. And we're going to talk about what happened to me in the last 30 days that just brought everything full circle and helped me to realize that, no, I never had all the information and I saw what God is doing in my life through it all. So we'll see you on the other side of the break.
Hello, I'm Aaron Free, and I'm honored to serve as president of Israel Team Advocates International. Israel Team is a unique nonprofit organization that is changing the growing narrative within the Christian world that the Jewish people are illegally occupying the land of Israel. The truth is that God, the God of the Bible, identifies himself as the God of Israel, and Jerusalem is his footstool. God has given this land to the Jewish people as an eternal possession. Within the evangelical communities, millennial generation and generation Z, there is an alarming decline of support for Israel. Presently, about 70% of young evangelicals are unsure of Israel's right of their very existence. If this trend continues, we are going to see a majority anti-Israel evangelical movement within 10 years. Imagine future Christian leaders in America calling for the removal of Jews from the Holy Land. Israel team cares deeply about the future of American Christianity and is investing in the young Christian leaders of tomorrow. We work on Christian college campuses and church youth and college groups to make a difference for Israel and the church as well. We mentor pastors and church leaders and counteract the growing trend of replacement theology being proclaimed from churches across America. I'm asking you today to help us in this noble cause. We can change the current trend of of anti-Israelism, one church and one college campus at a time. You can go to our website at israelteam.org to donate today and stand with us today. We ask you that you consider giving to Israel Team on a monthly basis. In the present exponential rise of anti-Semitism in America, our efforts must double to push back against this darkness. For your gift this month to Israel Team, we want to send you our new book, The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism and what can be done to stop it. Go to israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Welcome back to Israel in You, and we're talking about walking with an offense towards God. And I'm going to share with you now something that's happened to me in the last 30 days. And so to try to fill that void that we talked about in the first half of the program, white mantle and red brick fireplace, a rocking chair with a clock on top. Uh, what I did when I became a young adult is I, I bought my first house when I was 24 and I was looking for the red brick mantle and the, the uh, clock on top and the rocking chair. So the, the house was a ranch house. It, it had brick. It wasn't red brick. There was no mantle. So I built a mantle. I bought a rocking chair and I, I got a clock and I built a fire, and at 24 years old, I felt secure. And over the next you know, many years of my life, I flipped 11 homes. And you know that not one of those homes had the right combination. It, it was always something weird. Maybe it would have a, a white mantle, but there, it wasn't red brick. It's nothing ever matched. There was never the right combination. So when my daughter wanted to go to high school, I, I rented out one house, and um, moved, I bought a house right near the high school for her to go to this private school. And uh, it was kind of like a townhome neighborhood. I rented out the one house, you know, that we owned and, and uh, bought this one just to have it for four years, and then we'd sell it. And so my next-door neighbor, he, he lived about 60 miles away as well, uh, but he had bought a house in this neighborhood uh, because he was a cardiovascular surgeon, 
and he wanted a place you know to sleep before surgeries and he also wanted a place for his uh, sons to go to the private school so my daughter graduated the renters finished their lease on my one house and I went to sell it it wouldn't sell and it sat there for a year and I was running on empty I was you talk about anger and disappointment and offense towards God um, I didn't have the deep revelation <clears throat> in my soul that God was perfect and that he was uh, right there with me in my affliction. So I was trying to find security in a white mantle and, and red brick with the clock on top. And finally, there was an offer on the house. And one week before closing, the realtor called me and said, the people won out of the deal. They found another house they like better. I said, no problem. I walked from the front door, there was no one else in the house, to the couch to kneel down and pray, and I never made it. I just collapsed on the floor, crying my eyes out, just deep uh, wound in my soul that was just started pouring out. And the Lord spoke to me and said, when will I ever be enough for you? And I looked over to my left, and there was the fireplace, but it wasn't red brick, and there was no clock. It wasn't a white mantle. And God said, when will I ever be enough? And I climbed up into the arms of the Father at that moment, in, in the loving arms in a rocking chair. And the only thing that could come out of my heart was, I love you, God. I trust you, God. I love you, God. I trust you, God. And you might say, well, all the right lights were green after that. No, I, I rented that house out for another four years. And when I put it up for sale again after four years, put the sign out at 9 a.m., it sold by 1 a.m four hours later so I learned the greatest lesson in my life that built my faith and delivered me from offense and God used that financial loss to help me to understand that his love is perfect his wisdom is infallible he can't be improved upon and I don't have all the information well fast forward five years this past summer I spent about three weeks at Oxford University and was presenting a paper on anti-Semitism. My wife was with me. We're climbing the stairs in the dorm where we stayed. We took a train to Paris. We climbed the Eiffel Tower. I wasn't winded. We, over one weekend, we went to London, walked 20,000 steps a day. Uh, I swim a couple days a week and ride my bicycle. And when we came back, uh, returning to the States, I got back into my re routine. And one month ago, I had chest pain and uh, called a cardiologist friend of mine, did a heart cath. He said, you've got blockage. And when I was in the hospital waiting for the surgery, who would walk in but my next door neighbor uh, that I had sold that house. He had sold the house that he was living in probably five years ago. He walked in, the cardiovascular surgeon, and uh, he said, Aaron, your life is going to be preserved and um, you're going to make it through. I can assure you, you've been a good neighbor and I'm going to be good to you in the surgery. And um, so uh, actually a, there was a Nigerian doctor that helped me as well. And I said, what's your name mean? He said, it comes from Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord. And so I, I trusted, God, you've got this. My help comes from the Lord. My surgeon is my old neighbor. But that's not the end of the story. Three weeks later, my, my three-week checkup, which was last week, I was there with the surgeon. And at the end of my checkup, he said, you're doing great. And I said, I have a question for you. My, my wife, Sharon, was diagnosed two years ago with an aortic aneurysm. And they've been monitoring it. 
And he said, is it in her abdomen or is it in her heart? I said, it's in her heart. And he said, Aaron, that's very dangerous. And as your old neighbor, I would say to you, if it was my wife, I would have it removed. And he said, what size is it? I said, uh, 4.7 centimeters. He said, you know, based on the new data, your wife is petite. Based on her height and weight, she should have had that removed when it was 2.5 centimeters. It needs to come out. So he scheduled a CT scan immediately. Uh, it was measuring 4.7. And so three days ago, my wife went under open heart surgery. So we both had open heart surgery in the last 30 days. And before the surgery, the surgeon walked in and he said to me, Aaron, it is the providence of God that we were neighbors. Because after your open heart surgery, uh, you would have probably never asked anyone that question, but you asked me that question. And after he did the surgery he came, of my wife, he came in and he said, this thing was much larger than we thought. It should have ruptured years ago. And I told him about the loss I had suffered in that house. You know what he said? Aaron, it doesn't seem to be that great of a loss anymore, does it? So you see that in my pain and my loss, I didn't know that I didn't have all the information. And God was using that journey to preserve both my life and my wife's life. And so I can say to you today, God's love is perfect. His wisdom is infallible. He cannot be improved upon. And my encouragement to you is Isaiah 63, 9. In all their afflictions, God was afflicted. So where is God? He's in the midst of the valley with you. You don't see how all this is going to turn out right now for your good. But you do know, according to Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them that are called according to his purpose. So his ways are higher than your ways. His ways are higher than my ways. You don't have all the information. You don't see how it's all going to come together. It might be months. It might be years before you see the other side of that quilt. And you see how going through that difficult time, God was weaving a beautiful picture on the other side. But one day you will. You will see how God is weaving it together into a beautiful mosaic. And right now you may just see a bunch of knots and doesn't make any sense. But there's a scripture that says, he gave me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of despair. So whatever has burned up in your life, whatever ashes you may have, God's going to turn it into something beautiful in your life. I want to share a scripture with you as we close out today. And it's a scripture from Psalm 121. And it comes from one of the doctors that uh, attended me when I was in the hospital. And he was Nigerian. And I said, you know, what does your, your name mean? And he told, told me it's a Christian name. It, it comes from Psalm 121. So I'm going to proclaim this scripture over you today. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He will keep you and you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. 
The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So lift up your eyes to the hills today. From whence cometh your help? Your help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. So I want to pray with you today. Lord, I thank you for my friend. I pray that they would know and understand that your love is perfect. Your wisdom is infallible. You cannot be approved upon, and we don't have all the information. Your, your ways are higher than our ways. And I pray as they go through the valley that they're in, that, Lord, they'll know that they're coming through. It will come to pass, and they'll come out on the other side, and they'll see the beautiful picture you're painting in their life. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.